Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into the show here today. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, as we take a look at the markets, which were fairly quiet on the day Friday, wrapping up the week and getting us much closer to the Christmas holiday ahead. And one could wonder that we might just see some of that holiday malaise type trading now as we get closer to Christmas. We're going to dive in, talk about the markets, though, talk about some of the things we saw this past week. We're going to do that with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. He is coming up here in segment two and three today to run through what he's seeing in the markets as we rounded out the week. So look forward to that discussion with Jim coming up. Also coming up here in segment four today, we get comments from Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company, from a recent uh, convention talking about how he believes a great economic reset is happening right now. We'll get to those comments coming up here again a little bit later in the show. First up, though, taking a look at Friday's market action, we get thoughts and analysis commentary with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. We start our conversation talking about the grain trade. Here's Arlen Suderman. Yeah, grain and oil seeds continue to kind of separate themselves, although when you look at Wall Street, and that still has an impact because it's it's kind of a recessionary mindset, and the big sell-off there is reflective of that. And that's probably going to continue until we see the market no longer worried about rate hikes. So that'll come probably sometime around the time that they feel like the Fed is peaking interest rates and isn't going to be raising them much more. Doesn't necessarily mean coming down, but no more, no more increases. But for now, it's a recessionary fear. So they look at all supply and demand fundamentals through that lens. And within that context, what we're seeing right now is wheat and corn just really trade and soybeans too trading within the chart signals. Now for soybeans, they keep bumping up against for the January contract at 1490 level and buying dries up when prices approach that level. But as soon as the price breaks, we see end users coming in and buying. China is one of them that has been noted for that. And so we're still seeing demand buying the brakes, holding prices up there. No longer term, we're still trending higher, although we're bumping up against that ceiling. Corn and wheat, on the other hand, are within a, a different zone of, or trend, shall we say, that's going lower. And whenever they bump up against the top of that channel, they sell off. And that's what we're seeing or happening right now with the weakness there over in the livestock trade a little bit of support there it looks like heading to the weekend especially that hog trade with some triple digit strength and cattle moderately higher what's your thoughts on the protein sector to wrap up the week 
Yeah, kind of a rebound to big technical bounce with the Algo Momentum Traders who are really grabbing a hold of it today in the hogs. We've come down a long ways. We're approaching oversold territory and seeing a significant bounce. The cattle I find a little bit more fascinating there because we do know that we're going to see declining supplies as we get into 2023 with the contracted cow herd over the last couple of years. We're seeing the cash market hold more steady. By this time, we were about $4 off of the November highs but we're still holding up there near those highs right now. The demand from the Packers is still there. And overall, our slaughter numbers are coming down. Some of that's weather-related, and some of that's providing support as well with the winter storm still going on in the northern plains and a lot of very cold air coming down into feedlot territory as we get into next week providing support as well. And again, that's comments and analysis with Arlen Suderman of Stone X. Well, also, we've seen recently in the commodity markets a pretty big sell-off in corn contracts the last couple of weeks. Hedge funds, retirement funds, and other institutional investors sold off 75,000 contracts. Joe Vaklovic, president of Standard Grain in Nashville, Tennessee, says the sell-off volume was a little surprising. I was surprised by it. I was surprised by the volume at which they liquidated, the amount of contracts that were liquidated. I guess I was probably more surprised that the market has actually held up fairly well, in my opinion. I mean, corn's still six and a half bucks on the board, and cash corn is a heck of a lot better than that in a lot of areas of the country. So despite the fact that you've got some fun liquidation and that the commodity complex, and when I say the commodity complex, I mean grains, energies, precious metals, a lot of this stuff has been really soft. I think I'm impressed with how the corn market's held together all things considered. And he talks about why the funds seem to be getting out of commodities. You look at energies, you look at grains, the trend arguably in grains been lower. It's certainly been lower in wheat, probably lower in corn. Soybeans are a little bit different story, but I just don't think you have that speculative interest that you had the first half of the year. The second half of the year is much, much different because I think we're on the backside of inflation, at least for the time being. The inflation prints have been lower every single month since June, so it's reduced the enthusiasm for the long side of the market. Now, the big sell off of corn shouldn't have a big effect on farmers who still have some corn to sell. You know, if you've still got 20, 22 bushels to sell, did you nail the high? No. But if you still got a good basis, even if you don't, I mean, basis overall around the country is still historically pretty good in most areas. I mean, there's still a lot of profitability associated with current prices. So this is not a problem. Is it a problem that you didn't sell when corn was seven and a half on the board? I mean, yeah, you're never going to nail the high, but these are still good prices associated with a lot of profitability. I don't see this as being a big issue. It's just a question of how much you want to carry into next year, how much risk you want to take into next year, given all the talk about about recession. I'll talk about China locking down again, potentially. There's so many variables, but there's a lot of profitability still associated with these prices. In other commodity news, Vaklovic says soybeans are in a weather market. I think the beans can be influenced pretty heavily by weather. Argentina's got some problems. Southern Brazil has some problems. The majority of Brazil is in good shape. So it's variable. The bean market has acted as if this is a bullish deal because when you go to a situation where you're talking 200 million metric tons of soybeans, Brazil, Argentina combined, and then you take that down to like 190, that's probably what the market's trading now, somewhere around there. You got to account for that in the marketplace. And I think the market did that to some extent. And Vakovic says there isn't a lot of fresh news in the wheat market right now either. The Black Sea deal is what drove this thing for the first nine, 10 months of the year. And since then, you haven't seen the bullish headlines. You don't have a bullish Black Sea headline. Wheat may still very well be overpriced. There's some stuff going on with Russia, Ukraine, the U.S. We're sending Patriot missile defenses to Ukraine. A couple Russian uh, officials are talking nuclear again, but the market doesn't read this as being a threat or an escalation just yet, but it's possible. 
And again, that's comments with Joe Vakulovic, president of Standard Grain in Nashville, Tennessee. One other news item as well here before we head to the break. USDA has announced funding for infrastructure and clean energy improvements. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announced that USDA is making a significant investment in this critical U.S. infrastructure. $285 million is going to be made available to 844 projects across 46 states. This $285 million is in the form of 40.4 million dollars in grants and it's providing loan guarantees for 244 million dollars. These 844 projects as I said represent a wide range of renewable energy systems being supported the purchase installation and construction of energy efficiency improvements and or work that's being done to improve the energy efficiency of agricultural production and processing. The funds come from the Rural Energy for America program which he calls one of the agency's most successful programs. The funds will expand access to clean energy for people across rural America lowering energy costs and help with climate change. Again, USDA is making 844 investments through the Rural Energy for America program. The deadline to apply for grants is March 31st of 2023. Applications for technical assistance grants are due January 31st of 2023. Applications for loan guarantees are accepted year-round. Coming up, we're going to talk more about the market trade with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. He joins us next. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now as we take a look at the market trade wrapping up the week, looking at Friday's session and more. Pleased to have with us here today our good friend Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, good to talk with you again, sir. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Well, Jim, I appreciate the time. Let's dive in and just a, a thousand foot view here before we dive into some other topics I want to get to today. Looking at Friday's trade, wrapping up the week, obviously we had the Fed news, uh, the stock market pulled back quite a bit. That was kind of a backdrop to the commodity trade that overall kind of just felt choppy, quiet, kind of getting that holiday malaise type of feel into these markets, it appears, Jim. I think you nailed it. We are definitely moving into holiday mode, maybe a little bit earlier than normal, doing the fact that we do have a full week of trading next week before we have the long holiday weekends. But, you know, the reality is, Jesse, it's been a very volatile what movement market this year. I mean, a lot of extremes, a lot of Sunday night market surging to fail Monday, vice versa. I think it's really kind of worn a trade out right now. And I think a lot of producers and just traders, day traders, long term traders are just stepping aside and uh, just kind of winding down for the holidays. And then I think we'll ramp it right back up as we come back in after the holidays for that big January crop report. Definitely. Uh, real quick, thoughts on the Fed move? I know it was as expected, but then the stock market, real you know, big drop, big sell-off and pressure there the last couple of days of the week, and then the dollar coming back. Any thoughts uh, regarding that and how it's maybe impacted commodities, livestock as a whole here, Jim? Well, just briefly on the Fed move itself, it, it was pretty much came in as advertised. I raised it about a half point, but I, I think the biggest thing we need to take away from the Fed and it, it seemed to maybe take a day or two for the market to kind of realize what the Fed is actually telling us, Jesse. But what they really said was, hey, look, we need our goal right now is to kill off inflation. And and I think they kind of set the tone that it may take longer 
than people think. And because the rhetoric going into the Fed meeting wasn't, well, they're going to raise the interest rate, but how quick are they going to do the quote unquote Fed pivot, which means essentially lowering the interest rates? Because the fear is if you look historically, Jesse, when they start raising interest rates, they get to the peak and within six months, they start lowering the interest rates as they start bringing the economy back down. When you look what Volcker did back in the 80s, it went crazy, but it didn't stay at that 18, 19% forever. It came back relatively quick. Well, what Powell told the market this week was, hey, this is probably going to take longer than you guys think. And now all of a sudden, the, some of that trade that was buying the idea of a, a quicker pivot is now kind of running from the doors. Now, what's going to happen for you producers, it's going to essentially cost the cost of money to borrow this operating note. It's going to get more expensive. So next year's crops can be a little bit more expensive. Um, cost of credit card debt's going to get more expensive. And that's going to be maybe a little bit of a drag on the protein market. If you look at the overall supply situation, we're looking for the cattle supply to continue to tighten into 2023. A lot of people are looking on this hogs and pig report next week to also show the overall protein supply for pork to start to tighten. So really what it's going to be, Jesse, I believe, as we get into 2023, it's going to be a supply versus demand argument. We know the supply is going to drop. The question just is, is a demand there to pay for these higher prices that you traditionally get when you get these, uh, you know, drop in supplies. And that is yet to be determined. And I think if you're a producer, you got to be a little bit cautious of it because nine out of 10 economists seem to think the reality is we're probably unfortunately going to go into recession. And when you see recession, you see people being laid off, people start getting laid off, people tend to pull back their spending. We saw that earlier this week as well on a survey of consumer spending for the month of November at the beginning of the holiday season. And those numbers were a little bit disappointing, which shows me that the market is definitely, or the public in general is getting a little bit concerned about uh, you know their paychecks and their savings. And uh, like I said, that could have a negative impact on the protein demand. Well, it could definitely have a negative impact on that protein demand, as you mentioned. And since we're on the topic of livestock, you know, wrap it up on Friday, it felt like a fairly decent day and cattle hogs really had a solid day there. But, you know, overall, this protein sector, you hit on a lot of great points. Uh, it, it just feels like with protein, with cattle hogs, you know, we're watching that export demand as well. But we're also kind of watching, especially cattle country, where, you know, it, it's just been we've kind of just been waiting. It feels like, Jim, we've been waiting for this breakout to the upside as the as the herd shrinks. And it's, I think that's something maybe to watch here as we get into 2023 a little bit more. Doesn't feel like that out, that breakout move is going to come in the next couple of weeks. I think so. Part of it's a holiday season. Part of it, I think people are going to wait and see how the consumer feels and spends coming out of it. And I think part of it, at least on the hogs, a little bit now, the market rallied toward the end of this week quite sharply. I think that had to do with the market a little bit oversold technically in this bitter cold weather coming in and maybe a little bit of anticipation of that report. But uh, I think near term on the pork industry and even the beef side is China. Um, I know we've talked a lot about it, but China has gone from zero COVID, in my opinion, to you know 100, 100 miles an hour. They have kind of just opened up the floodgates and just said, go at it. And with that, they are seeing a huge, huge increase in COVID around the countries, especially the big cities. Um, some of the bigger cities, they say, are just as isolated now as they were in the heart of COVID when they were locking it down because so many people are getting sick. There, there's talk of trade desk volume down dramatically in China simply because they don't have the traders to actually you know, execute the trades. So you're going to get a little bit of pain, I think, near term. And my guess is, Jesse, it's going to last into January because... My belief is you're hitting the big cities right now, kind of like it did 
at the beginning of COVID here in the United States. Because U.S., you know, we had some lockdowns, but we never did the lockdowns like China did. So my guess is, Jesse, we're going to get the big cities are going to get hit over the next couple of weeks. And then they always had that big Chinese New Year at the end of January when essentially by some accounts, it's some of the biggest humanity change movements that we'll ever see when millions upon millions of Chinese leave the cities to go back to their rural villages they're from to celebrate the holidays. So my guess is the cities will get hit hard at this time of year. At the end of January, you're going to see rural China get pretty hard with COVID. And then, you know, six weeks after that, just like what happened to our Omicron surges, that tide's going to start coming back down. And then I think you're going to see the government spending really start to go to try to bring that economy back to life. And that may be when we start seeing a little bit better demand potentially on the export side for both the pork and the beef. And that's when we might finally see the breakout. So it may take a little bit of time. But like I said, if you look at the history of what's happened in Europe, in the United States, you get these big waves of COVID, the waves crest, and then it moves to the sidelines and the world moves on. China hasn't done it yet. They're in that process. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough for them. But eventually, hopefully, it'll be bullish for them and bullish for us. Well, speaking of China, uh, an interesting thing I saw this week, and you may have saw it as well, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong if I say this uh, incorrectly, but I saw a note about China, I think it was a Reuters report, allowing foreign uh, investors to participate in their soybean and soybean meal markets now as of the 26th, I believe, coming up here on the Dalian Exchange. And, And I think a move like that just goes to show you know, some of the changing of the ebb and flow of global trade and markets and and how important China really has become on a global stage here, say the last, I don't know, 10 years, Jim. I, I thought that was an interesting note that I saw. Well, there's no doubt about it. It is kind of interesting to see that. And that just shows you while China is kind of diversifying, especially in the meal side of the equation. And China's traditionally has always been just a big importer of beans and not the raw product. I think you're going to start seeing them import more raw product. And Jesse, I think that's good. Because if you look at where the United States is going with this biodiesel, this renewable diesel, which I think if you're a producer of beans, you have to be very, very excited about. Because what's going to happen is that's going to ramp up our domestic demand for bean oil. And that could come at a cost of a little bit of excess supply of meal. Now, granted, if you're an end user of meal, you're going to be kind of happy of that excess supply potentially, which could kind of tap down the prices. But, you know, the the producers of that biodiesel meal, they're going to be looking for an extra market. And if the Chinese start buying our meal, that's going to do wonders for us because I do think we're going to lose a little bit of export demand from the Chinese. I think what you're going to see in general is a shift of China buys more and more raw beans from the Brazilians. They may buy some meal from us. And then, like I said, we'll domestically we'll be pricing our beans, essentially, or turning them into, you know, biodiesel. Well, definitely interesting things to think about there when it comes to China. Coming up here, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk a little bit more about new crop marketing and possibly looking at getting some wish orders out there in the trade. If things get kind of low volume, they could tend to get volatile during the holidays and maybe you get some price targets that you wouldn't expect. We're going to talk more about that with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net, who is our guest here today. We're going to do that coming up here after the break. 
Uh, just a look, uh, kind of a snapshot of Friday's market trade. Again, it was a fairly quiet, choppy day uh, in the grain trade. A little bit of spreading between uh, you know, quarter wheat moving a little lower with beans, bean meal moving a little bit higher. Overall, though, that core market pretty much uh, within a penny or so of unchanged. Just can't really seem to break out of that 650 range. Beans busting up against that 1490 level again. Little intermarket spreading between meal and oil. And a little bit of intermarket spreading between uh, wheat, Chicago, Casey, and Minneapolis on the day as well. We'll talk more about the markets with Jim McCormick coming up next. Back for more Market Talk right after this. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here as we continue our show today. Jim McCormick is our guest analyst with agmarket.net. Jim, a little more on the grain side. Soybeans feels like we keep going up and testing overhead resistance, coming back off of it, then finding buyers there. Meantime, quarter wheat feels like they're working a little more together. It feels like we go down, test the bottom end of support, and then bounce off of that. And we just kind of keep staying within these trading ranges here heading to the end of the year. It's kind of the the dynamic and the feeling that I get as, we, as we're working towards Christmas. What are your thoughts just on those thoughts uh, here for the grain trade right now? Well, I think you nailed it. I think one thing you got to look at, Jesse, is look how the trade's going to spread activity. I, we've noticed it all falling into the wintertime. You know, the beans will be up, the corn and wheat will be down. Corn and wheat will be up, and then the beans will be down. So you're seeing a lot of commodities spreading going on. The bean market in general, I think, can you get up near $14 beans on the new crop, up near 15 on the old crop? You're going to find people wanting to sell beans. And I would encourage that. I mean, I am a little bit leery that China's getting ready to make that pivot to South American aggressively. We're hearing estimates up to 75% of China's needs have been covered for January and February. So by the time they start covering March, they will have that fresh Brazilian supply. So that's going to keep us in the market. But we're still, you know, then people say, well, why isn't the market falling out of bed? That's because Argentina continues to deal with a drought situation. So we break and then the drought buyers you know, essentially come in and buy that dip. And then we rally. Then the people looking to sell product on the idea that Brazil is going to have a big crop offset in the, the Argentina drought. And that just kind of keeps us in the range. The corn and the wheat right now, what we're watching for is demand specifically. They've been very expensive on the world market in general for the last few months. We're not getting a whole lot of exports. Wheat is finally getting a little bit competitively priced. The corn, we're still not competitively priced, but we're getting closer and, you know, I think you're going to see some of that demand shift from us. If Argentina continues to be dry, that will bring demand back to the United States, I got to believe. And the one wild card also is what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Remember, Jesse, the, the um, you know, the train corridor is open. But, you know, when you look at what's going on, Putin, Putin seems like he's kind of lost the war at this point. So now he's essentially declared war on the public, the population, and he's destroying their infrastructure. 
And it becomes a problem logistically. If you can't have power to get grain out of your silos and out of your, you know, out of your farm to the export market and get that, you know, to those elevators onto the ships, it's, it's probably going to limit the ability of the Ukrainians to get that grain out of the country, which also maybe opens the door for more exports. Right now, interesting enough, there's about 9 million metric tons of corn that's still in the field in uh, the Ukraine right now. And they're getting a big snowstorm as we speak. So we know we're going to lose some bushels there. And quality is also going to be an issue. So there is some time for some demand to come into these markets. And that's really what we're going to really need to see, I believe, to get the corn and wheat market somewhat into a bull market. Well, thinking as well, Jim, uh, talking a little risk management here, but and you know, this time of year with the quietness in the market, sometimes if we get a low volatility uh, or low volume day, I should say, it could lend itself to some volatility. So what are your thoughts on, on producers if they're looking at some different targets? Should they get some of those quote unquote wish orders out into the market here as we head to the end of the year in case something wild happens on a day to day basis? No doubt about it, Jesse. I think you, you've, you've made a great point. If you are a producer out there and if there's a certain price level you want, be it five cents, 10 cents, 20 cents above the market, you know, get it working with your broker, or at least get it working if it's a cash sale with your elevator, get it working because in these thin markets, the next two weeks as we wrap up, a lot of people don't trade, but there are a few funds that do trade. And when those funds come in and place big orders in the market, they will move the market potentially. And you may catch a blip up in the marketplace real quick, just as they, you know, because the computers trade a headline out of the Ukraine, a headline out of South America, you might be able to get a sale that you're normally not going to catch because you're busy, you know, with Christmas time, holidays, visiting with family, you might be able to get a lucky trade, you know, a trade point off you want. So yes, definitely get those orders working. Well, and I think a thing with that as well is that if you put some of those orders out there, if it does happen, maybe, you know, don't be upset that it happened. I know sometimes the psyche out there in farm country, I mean, you know, it, it just happens. They say, oh, well, it got to seven. I want it to go to 750, that kind of thing. You know, uh, pencil in those margins, those profits and, and take them if they come to you. I think that's a, a big thing to remember as well, Jim. Oh, I think you nailed it. I mean, right now, Jesse, I think, you know, the key is not look at the price. Is it? No, don't worry about $7 corn. Look at your break-evens, folks. Are you making money? You know, you know, what's your profitability level? What was your, what do you think your profitability when you're getting ready to plant this crop nine months ago? You know, and our we're going to encourage you to be a little bit more aggressive. Our group is definitely a little bit leery about the beans. We're telling people get rid of the old crop beans. You're looking at some fabulous prices historically, and essentially right now, if you're holding on the beans, you're just betting on the Chinese to continue and buy U.S. beans. And I don't know about you, Jesse, but I'm very nervous when I've got to count on the Chinese to be the one that's going to propel the market this time of year. Because like I said, the Brazil harvest overall is going to come down that pipeline very, very quick if you want to play the what if. And I know there's a big what if out there. When you look at that drought monitor, it is very, very dry right now. So, you know, that's where the options come into play. You can always reown op using the market options to way to maybe play the what if in case we do stay dry. I am very leery about where the economy is going to go as we go into 2023. And I think that can become a real problem. I mean, the worst case scenario for a producer right now, when you think about it, Jesse, is he's spent a lot of money getting ready to put in this 23 crop. A lot of high fuel costs have been locked in, no doubt. Fertilizer prices, seed prices, they all are up due to this inflationary pressure. Okay, if Brazil ends up with a big crop, we follow up with a decent crop 
this summer. And then on top of it, you throw down a slowing economy due to the Fed raising interest rates, which nine out of 10 economists think we will go into a recession, just how big of a recession. So you've got demand, not just dropping potentially in the United States, but the rest of the world, a supply situation growing. When you think about it, you've probably got a dollar to $2 downward risk in the beans, at least a dollar downward risk in the corn. And can, if you're a producer out there, you gotta ask yourself, am I willing to take that risk or do I start really getting aggressive a marketing program that says, I'm gonna make sure I make money in 2023. And I think it's very critical you guys make money in 23 because if we have a downdraft in pricing in 23, the odds are 24 is gonna be even worse. And 24 could be a situation where you can't even cash, it's a negative cash flow. So it's very important that you market the crop in the bin as well as the crop you're getting ready to plant and make sure that profitability is there, I believe. That's a great point that you brought up, and I was going to get to that, so I'm glad you you led me there. You know, thinking about this 23 crop, and you mentioned it, if we've already booked inputs, booked fuel, et cetera, you know, there, there's no harm in, in getting some sales on the books there to to try and lock in some of that profit that you alluded to, Jim. I mean, it's it, it's so important to think about that is that if you have made sales and you have stuff on the books, you got to protect that. That's just smart risk management, Jim. Well, exactly. I mean, the one thing is interesting. I've been doing this in this industry almost 25 years now. You know, farmers, you know, we our industry tries to, you know, swing for the fences, try to get the maximum. A lot of other industries, when you think about it, it doesn't matter if it's a widget, if it's making soup, if it's making a shovel, whatever it is, they're looking for a profit margin, 5%, 5%, 10%, 20% return on their investment. I think as you're a producer this year, you've got to kind of take that businessman approach approach and don't necessarily swing for the thing, the fences this year, make sure that profitability is locked in because we are, we're in an economic situation, plain and simple. We've never been in. I mean, we've got an interest rate prop. We've got, a, you know, interest rates going up as we're fighting inflation that we haven't seen since the early eighties. You throw in the fact that the reality is Europe's in the middle of a world war, just exasperating the problem. You've got a pandemic that's still, the reality is running around the world and still mutating situation. Those are all things that potentially could go very bullish to commodities or very bearish to the commodities. So, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that allow you to make sure your profitability is there, but also be able to play that game in case of the what if, because there are some bullish what ifs out there, but that's what people tend to concentrate on. I'm going to encourage you to kind of, unfortunately, kind of say, but what if I'm wrong? It's easy to be excited if you're right, but what happens if you're wrong? Our group is trying to encourage people to look at that profitability and make sure that you don't let those profits slip in 2023. Well, Jim, always great uh, conversation and enjoy the time with you here on the show. Any final thoughts you have for us before we wrap it up for today? Well, I'm just going to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. Um, like I said, folks, put your wish orders in. Um, is my best uh, advice right now and be prepared for volatility, but really take a very serious approach as you sit down and start analyzing where your profitability is for this year's crop as well as next year. If you need any help with doing that, please call any of the agmarket.net team members at 8424-6758. If you would like to, we are having a conference in Nashville. I know Jesse's going to be there um back there at the first weekend of february if you're interested in finding out more information about that where we're going to kind of give you an idea how to market and how to build some marketing plans go to agmarket.net at the top of the page it'll give you some information about our conference 
Well, looking forward to the conference. And again, you can get the details online at agmarket.net. That is agmarket.net. Appreciate the time as always, Jim. If I don't talk to you before, then have a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. And we will talk to you again real soon, sir. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you again for having me on, Jesse. And always a pleasure to catch up and talk about the markets with Jim McCormick, agmarket.net. Thanks to him for joining us here on the show today. And again, really a, a quiet market trade, a little bit of a spread action between the soy complex and quarter wheat with some intermarket spreading happening in the soy complex and in the wheat markets. And then livestock trade, uh, some really good strength there, especially the hog market with triple digit strength in those front month contracts. That February contract getting a little premium again to the uh, cash index so that's something to watch there as well and pressure in the stock market again to wrap up the week on friday we'll continue the program we have a little more to get to before we run out of time today we'll be back with more market talk right after this the market news and analysis you need here on market talk now back to jesse allen and welcome back to Market Talk. Big thanks again to Jim McCormick, agmarket.net, for joining us today to discuss the market trade as we wrapped up the week. And again, we're heading to the holiday season. Probably going to start seeing more of that holiday quiet type of trade, but still could lend itself to some volatility. So a lot of things to consider and think about and watch for um, with your marketing plan here as we head to the end of the year. Well, the global agricultural marketplace is always evolving, but economists are predicting another great economic reset is happening right now. This is according to economist Dan Bossi, president of Ag Resource Company. He says between inflation, severe weather, war, and limited farmland, economic competitiveness is going from global to regional. Bossi explains how this shift is going to impact American agriculture in the coming year. He also gives us some insight into how producers could stay profitable even when the world trade picture shifts. First, he explains what he means by an economic reset. Yeah, so as we think about the world, you know, we've really changed after the pandemic. I don't want to call it the Roaring Twenties, which is what happened after the last pandemic, but it's somewhat similar in that market volatility is going to remain extreme. Some of this is related to trust. I think we mentioned in the conference about trust. We don't have trust of political leaders. We don't have trust of the media. We don't have trust of our neighbors sometimes. And so all of this trust leads to market decisions and leads to markets being much more volatile, which along with... Uh, what we believe to be uh, something in related to globalization and then a change to regionalization really gives us this new era in world and American agriculture. The shift in competitiveness and mistrust, as Bossy outlines, is adding volatility to the marketplace, whether it's dairy components, fluid milk, or grain. This is making information about markets more important to agriculture today than ever before. When the corn market or dairy markets were moving $2 a hundredweight or 40 cents a bushel, markets were not as important as they are today. We're seeing markets now move a couple dollars in corn, six or seven dollars in milk. This has been happening uh, routinely. And so when, when we look at producer net revenue, the amount that you get to keep, we're now finding that over 60% of that net, net revenue is your decisions of what you market your crops or milk or other things are in the marketplace. So never before has information and markets been more important in American agriculture than they are today. But it's not just what you're producing, it's what you're buying. Price inflation is expected to continue into 2023 for everything on the expense sheet. He recommends farmers have a partner to help them digest what's happening in today's marketplace. Think of our friends in Russia and Belarus. I mean, they account for 43% of the world fertilizer production. That area is in turmoil right now with the war. Uh, Russia's promising to boost up their fertilizer exports. But as you think about pricing, it's going to stay high. Everybody has their hands in the American farmer's pocket. Uh, 
uh, whether it be uh, higher interest rates, higher diesel prices, higher fertilizer prices, higher seed prices, labor prices. There's not one area on the farm that isn't seeing a higher uh, price hike this year compared to last year. And I think that trend basically continues, but this gives the farmer anxiety because his costs are going up and he now needs to make sure that there's a margin there, but that margin in market terms is volatile. And so uh, understanding all of this and putting it together into a plan becomes more difficult. The weather in other areas of the globe also plays a role in what we see price-wise here domestically. Extreme weather events such as heat waves are limiting crop production. Bossy says this is creating the need for more acres when farmland is limited. Well, you know, I, again, I'm not political on either side, I, and, and, and some people see climate as being a political argument. My vision is that we know by the data that climate is becoming more variable, and we have a new word in our office called heatflation. If I look at just the past year, we've seen episodes of heat we've never seen before globally, India making it up to almost 140 degrees last March. This has a big impact on crop production. It's really caused global crop yields to stagnate. Now, if I don't have global crop yields rising as they normally do, due to technology and better farming practices, that means we need more acres. And so our forecast is that the world needs to bring in crop production, an additional 24 million acres in the next five years. That's not coming from the United States, the black season problem, South America needs to do it, but it's a hard ask and it's a hard place to do that kind of acreage increase. Now, if we look back at the United States, transportation logistics still pose an issue, explains Bossy. The Mississippi River is the artery of American agriculture, but low river levels are adding yet another factor of volatility in the grain market. The price of moving things on the river these days is now two and a half times above normal. And so when you look at the cost of corn or soybeans or wheat down at the Gulf, those prices are some of the highest in the world. And when you're the highest price, that means that importers don't buy that. The river levels today as measured in St. Louis are negative. And so the only way we keep the river flowing is by aggressive dredging. And that dredging costs a lot of money. And so uh, if we don't get some changing in the pattern, if we don't get a river level improving as we turn the calendar to 2023, this is going to become a bigger issue. Now, the economy is not all doom and gloom. There are opportunities for farmers to stay ahead of a changing cost structure and world logistics. The demand side of agriculture points to greater grain consumption and greater needs in the renewable fuel space. Bossy says there are real things to be bullish about, and he says a way farmers can use volatility to their advantage is by incorporating soybean meal into livestock feed. If you look at the amount of soybean meal crush facilities being built across the United States, U.S. crush capacity will increase 26% in the next three years. We've never seen that in a decade, much less three years. North Dakota has more crush capacity than soybeans. So this is a demand driver. This is all because of renewable diesel and those big credits that California, Washington, are, and, and Oregon are paying for low-carbon fuels. The problem with is that if I squeeze a bean, soybean, I get 11.6 pounds of oil and 47.5 pounds of meal. What do I do with all that meal? And so the dairymen will be key to that. Meal prices will head down over time. We only have two export points to get rid of meal around the, to the world. So domestically, I've really got to take up meal uh, consumption. Dairy is going to be very key to that. Dairy may be key in another sector as well, the beef industry. Bossy says he's bullish about the cattle market. Dairy has an opportunity to add value with crossbred cattle. Yeah, the big beef bull market for agriculture in 2023 and 2024 is cattle. The U.S. cattle herd is now uh, dropped, the beef cow herd has dropped to levels we've not seen on record. So as the western drought continues to limit forage availability and cow slaughter rates stay elevated, 
the bullish market for cattle really comes into four, and I need every dairyman to think about breeding some of their lower part of their herd to a cross so that we have another calf, bull calf, uh, Angus cross, maybe it's a Hereford or something like that. But we need those wet bull, bull calves or heifer calves so that we can expand the cow herd and beef to get back to levels that will be sustainable. Today, the demand for U.S. beef is going to be outstripping supply for years to come. And again, that's economist Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company. Well, that's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com.